So let me invite you all to open the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 2 today as we continue a new message series that we began last week uh, by grace through faith, looking at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 uh, through 10. Anybody watch any college football uh, this past week, this past Monday? I hate to bring up the Auburn game. Uh, I really hate to bring up the Auburn basketball game yesterday where they crushed uh, my Arkansas Razorbacks, but how about the University of Central Florida Knights claiming the national championship title in the wake of their Peach Bowl victory uh, to finish the season with a perfect record of 13-0. and You heard this story, right? Some of you I know heard this story. Uh, here's the story. Well, tomorrow's SEC, all-SEC championship uh, doesn't really matter uh, because the Knights are already the self-proclaimed college football national champions. Despite their undefeated season, uh, the Knights were not invited to the college football playoff this year, landing a final ranking of 12th uh, when the uh, playoff committee made their final selections. Now, don't mishear me. Uh, If you are a Knights fan, this is great reason to celebrate quite the year. I'm not ridiculing. uh, I'm simply stating the facts. This is what happened. Uh, UCF Athletic Director Danny White has announced that the coaches will receive championship bonuses, a banner will be raised, and a parade is being planned. I think has already been planned. Uh, I think, last I saw, was going to take place this afternoon uh, in Orlando at Disney World. Now, as fans of teams, most of us anyway, in uh, one of the Power Five conferences, we uh, chuckle a bit at this. But isn't it indicative of the natural human mentality? You see, whether we've said it or not, most of us believe that we deserve a bit more than we get recognition for. Most of us believe that we uh, deserve things that perhaps we we really don't. We say something to the effect, after all I've done, or after all I've been through, or as hard as I've worked, I deserve this raise. Uh, This promotion, this recognition, this car, this vacation, this accolade, this trophy, uh, this whatever. You know, except perhaps when we're really down on ourselves, uh, which uh, is true for all of us from time to time. Uh, We have a tendency to think that we deserve uh, more than we really do. We have a tendency to think that we deserve what we really don't. So what do we really deserve? The Bible tells us. The scriptures tell us, uh, and it's not a very pretty picture. See, it's not a home with a view atop Double Oak Mountain. It's not a full ride to an Ivy League school. It's not a spouse who responds to our every beck and call. It's not a room full of people gathered to hear some great important word from us. It's not a God who grants our every desire or wish. The Bible actually says that we, all of us, deserve His wrath. And it actually says this, church, get this, not tucked away somewhere in the middle of some complicated laws or instructions in Leviticus that we might make a case to try to dismiss on the grounds of living in a different covenant period of salvation history. No, it says this, I think most clearly, in the New Testament. And on the basis of Jesus' work. So there's no getting away from it. If we take Jesus and his word 
seriously at all. So let's look at the scriptures together today, can we? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, honing in on verse 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, covering our text for last week as, as well. I invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in the first century, uh, instructing them in the gospel, instructing them in the faith. And this is what he says. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Let's bow and pray together. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, The scriptures, we thank you that you have spoken and that you are still speaking through them today. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is alive and well and present with us today. Lord, instruct us in the deep truths of this uh, somewhat difficult text, difficult text to hear. Uh, Lord, instruct us, correct us where we're in error, guide us in the right way that we might honor you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Before we're done this morning, we'll get to this idea of of God's wrath in an effort to rightly understand what the Bible really says about it. Uh, But before we get there, let's follow the natural flow of the text. The message conveyed, I think, by the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul to believers, the beginning of verse 3 is this, that we all once lived according to sinful cravings. We all once lived according to sinful cravings. That's what the scriptures say here. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Paul says all of us lived among them at one time. Them. Equals those who are disobedient. Those who are disobedient of verse 2. Meaning those who have not yet believed the message of truth. Those who have not yet believed the gospel. I'm a big fan of uh, the NIV. The New International Version. I think you regulars know this. It's the uh, version that's found in our pews. It's the uh, translation from which I most often preach. But I have to be honest. I think the, the NIV muddies this a bit. Because a more literal translation of the beginning of verse 3 reads this way. It says, among whom also we all lived then in the lusts of our flesh. In other words, yes, we lived among unbelievers. That's just where we lived. But also we lived in our sinful lusts. We lived in our sinful cravings. We succumbed to our fleshly desires or our passions before Jesus saved us. Friends, we lived in them. We behaved in ways characteristic of those who claim no allegiance to God whatsoever. Prior to conversion, we lived in rebellion against God. That's the truth that we discovered, that we saw last week from verses 1 and 2. Prior to conversion, we all lived in rebellion against God. This was the state, it was the sphere, it was the realm in which we lived and thought and acted Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live. See, prior to receiving Jesus' rescue, we were controlled by sin. Living according to sinful cravings, acting on whatever desires filled us at the time, we carried out fleshly desires. That's what's being conveyed here. We carried out fleshly desires. We performed fleshly uh, desires. All of us also lived among them at one time. Verse 3, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and what? Following its desires. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that we always succumb to every temptation. I don't think the Bible is saying that uh, we all lived with total reckless abandon before knowing Christ. But when we did resist... In other words, when we were tempted to sin and, and we didn't give in to temptation, it probably wasn't motivated by, de- by a desire to honor God. It was probably some other motivation, a rational uh, impulse stepping in, uh, helping us realize that this is not the best decision to make. Perhaps it was even motivated by other selfish things. We followed its desires, literally doing the wishes of the flesh. Paul is saying we, we did these things. This is the way we lived. All of us, he says. Myself included. None are excluded. You know, sin is the great equalizer for we've all been consumed by it. Let's not forget who we were before Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's not forget who we are even now without Christ. Flesh refers to the former sinful state of living, synonymous with uh, the former way of life. In chapter 4, verse 22, it's an orientation, an alignment away from God and the things of God and towards selfish interests. Things like taking personal pleasure at the expense of others. The ways of the flesh would be things like taking personal pleasure in pornography. Things like stealing from others because you want more for yourself. Things like ridiculing those with different political convictions or religious preferences. These all arise from the natural inherited sinful bent of our souls toward ourselves. You see, before Jesus saved us, we carried out these fleshly desires. We readily use the flesh as an instrument of rebellion against God. But in salvation, in salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus, a radical reorientation takes place and a new longing develops in us. No longer should sinful cravings and desires and passions dictate what we do with our bodies Because by God's grace, we've come to realize that our bodies are not our own and our living is far more significant and purposeful and lasting than the latest desires or wants or dreams of me, myself, and I. Elsewhere, Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he writes this truth. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, meaning believers, writes the followers of Jesus. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, we all once used our bodies, used all of us to carry out natural, sinful human desires. And the scriptures say, no, wait a minute. Those who know and follow 
the God of the Scriptures, are to use their bodies as an instrument of righteousness, use their bodies, give their bodies ultimately as a living sacrifice to God, use them for His worship and His glory. For we all once lived according to sinful cravings, carrying out fleshly desires and acting upon evil thoughts. We carried out fleshly desires and we acted upon evil thoughts. All of us, verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. In other words, Paul says we didn't just have sinful thoughts from, from time to time. We acted upon them, making decisions that collide with what God desires. You know, the word for desires and the word for thoughts that are used here in the New Testament are, are, are not words with a negative connotation. They're not neutral, or they're not negative words. They're neutral words, meaning that these, uh, these things can also describe uh, what's positive. In other words, I can use my mind for the glory of God. I can have passions and desires that are honoring to God. So it's not as if desires and thoughts in and of themselves are some external Force that came upon us and corrupted us, luring us away into sin. Now the idea here is that we deliberately chose to act on rebellious desires and thoughts and cravings that dishonor the God who made us. And again, friends, if you're anything like me, your sin nature wants to speak up here. And you want to say, wait a minute. I'm not that bad. I I know that there are people for whom this description fits, but that's not me. In fact, those that know me the best, even my own family, they, they think I'm a pretty good guy. But how many of you would be comfortable letting the rest of us take a little a little scroll through your thought life for a few hours? Even today, on a Sunday afternoon, how many of you would be okay with the rest of us sort of going home with you and just hanging out in your head for the rest of the day, seeing what really goes on there? I'll be the first to say, I'm not. Don't look for that invitation from me. You see, when I stop for even just a moment, I know, I know that apart from Christ saving me and sanctifying me, through the presence and the power of His Spirit, I fit Paul's description here. You know what he says? We all do. And elsewhere he writes, back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. For then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because we're sinful. Our our minds need renewal. For they've been homes. They've been uh, dwelling places. They've uh, been breeding grounds for spiritual sickness and death. So Christian, because your sin condition once covered all of you. Your mind, your thoughts, your flesh, your deeds. Because every part of us was once tainted by human sin. Let's practice persistent patience with unbelievers. Let's practice persistent patience with unbelievers. 
Yes, let's take the mandate of Christ to his followers seriously to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's share the word of truth, the message of truth, as Paul calls it in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's do so again and again. Let's go back to our, our pagan neighbor. Let's go back to our unbelieving father or mother. Let's go back again and again to our rebellious children. Let's be persistent about it, but let's be patient about it. Because we know that God has been patient with us. You see, let's not be so quick to belittle. Let's not be so quick to condemn. Let's not be so quick to give up on those who do not yet profess faith in Jesus. For the sin condition runs deep. And all of us once lived according to sinful cravings. Believer, aren't you glad that God was patient with you? Aren't you glad that he's still patient with you? That the gospel came to you while you were still dead in your sin. You know, friends, it's so easy to bemoan the condition of our country or our culture or the inevitable downward spiral into immorality and evil among those who remain dead in their trespasses and sins, forgetting that the primary call believers of Jesus to his followers is to champion the message of a redeeming grace that is greater than all our sin. A grace that cleanses and changes us. A grace meaning something completely unearned and undeserved, making us no more worthy than the rest of the world to receive it. Brothers, sisters, followers of Jesus, if if we believe that, how could we not practice persistent patience in sharing the gospel with the lost? We all Lived. We all once lived according to sinful cravings, meaning that we all deserved God's wrath. We all deserved God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. Or like everybody else, he says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I think it's important to note that, that Paul is not suggesting that his Ephesian audience was an especially evil group of people. An especially undeserving group. As, as if they lived especially wicked lives before Christ. And that's the reason that he writes this way. No, he is saying that every human being still living without faith in Christ remains in this condition. Deserving of God's wrath. To say that we were by nature deserving of his wrath is to say that this was our destiny. In the sense that this is what we deserved and what we could anticipate receiving apart from some radical intervention by God himself. And we know, as believers in the message of scripture, as believers in the gospel, we know that that's exactly what took place in the arrival of God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. You see, wrath, judgment, Accountability, consequences, these sound 
harsh until we come to grips with the stench of human sin before a holy God. Until we admit that every wrong is ultimately a wrong against God. This is what David meant in Psalm 51 when he said to the Lord, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Not minimizing or downplaying the fact that he sinned against others. But the greatest offense, the deepest offense is is an offense against God. You see, evil is not only around us. Evil is in us. We are the problem. And if we eliminate the wrath of God, as as many want to do in our days, if we eliminate the wrath of God, we eliminate the significance of the cross. In fact, I dare say, if we eliminate the wrath of God, we all together dismiss the cross. Eliminate the, the wrath of God and there's no need for the gospel. If we take the cross seriously, then we must take our sin seriously. And to take our sin seriously demands that we acknowledge accountability and judgment. That we acknowledge accountability and judgment. You cannot take the Bible seriously and, and reject these. And friends, why would you want to? You see, I, I dare say that anyone who has ever brushed up against the evils of human trafficking or merciless warfare or random mass shootings or rape or extreme bullying or corrupt governments that refuse to provide life-saving aid to their dying citizens or gang violence or home burglaries or we could go on and on wants to know that God is angered by these evils and that ultimately He will execute judgment and establish justice. You see, a just God must be characterized by wrath against sinners for we are responsible to God. We, all of us, answer to our Maker, but we've fallen short. We've rebelled. Prior to conversion, we rebelled against God. We lived in rebellion against God and we're accountable for it. But you see, a gospel perspective knows that this is not all the story. A gospel perspective recognizes that Jesus endured the wrath that we deserved. And for this reason, the saved now and forever receive the favor and love that only Jesus deserved. That's the great exchange that happens to the gospel, right? That Jesus took what we deserve and we get what only He deserves. But but this is not true of everyone. Yes, the Bible says whosoever believes, but not all believe, not all are saved, are Are you saved? Have you been forgiven? Have you been washed? Have you repented and trusted in the Savior? Have you given your life over to Him? Have you recognized that you have fallen short? Yet He is a merciful God who provides forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration for for you and for me and whosoever repents and turns to Him. Have you been delivered from the destiny that awaits those who remain dead in their sins? The ones who continue in the ways of this world, the way of the devil. 
the way of living according to sinful cravings. Friend, seek the Lord's mercy and deliverance. Let's seek the Lord's mercy and deliverance, for this is the way of salvation. A way of turning to Him. Knowing that He welcomes us to the blood of Christ. Knowing that He invites us to be washed clean, to be restored, to be made right, to be called His sons and daughters, to be regarded as innocent, to live forever with and for Him. You see, Paul writes to believers here. He writes to the church. He writes to followers of Jesus. And, and this is good news. He's, he writes in this way saying, this is what you were. But this is no longer who you are. He writes in the past tense. He says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live, right? Following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. He says, all of us also lived, past tense, among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were, we were by nature deserving of his wrath. You see, apart from Christ, we are consumed with sin and guilty before God. Apart from Christ, we are consumed with sin and guilty before God. But here's the good news. Here's the news that we'll dive into deeper uh, next Sunday. And that's this. That's that in Christ, we find freedom from sin and complete cleansing by our Maker. You see, in Christ we are, we are given new life. We are forgiven all our offenses, every sinful thought, every sinful deed, given eternal life, deserving of His wrath, yet recipients of His incomparable love and His abundant mercy. And that's why it's called gospel, friends. Because this is good news. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for this gospel. Lord, we thank you for the message of your intervention, of your rescue. Lord, of your deliverance from sin and death and darkness and the devil through the sending of your son, the coming of your son in the flesh, living the perfect life that he may lay down his life as the perfect sacrifice taking the wrath of God that we deserve, that we might instead receive His righteousness. Or that we could be pardoned, declared righteous, justified, declared innocent, restored into right relationship with You, not only now, but forever and ever and ever. Lord, we thank You for this message. Lord, forgive us for taking our sin against You lightly. Lord, forgive us for thinking more of ourselves than we ought. Remind us of the depth of our sin, but Lord, don't let us stay there. Continually draw us back to the riches of your grace. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might know and respond rightly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.